to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction. Their God is the belly. And their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation so that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Has anyone here ever run or walked a race? Anyone? A few? If you haven't, we heard in our announcements you have a few opportunities coming up. September 16th and the the 30th, these two um, events, just short walks. Now, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a runner, maybe more like a recreational jogger, any recreational walkers, joggers, perhaps. But I I do have some really good friends who are very devoted runners. I I definitely call them runners. Year-round, rain or shine, they're constantly training for half marathons or marathons. No matter what is going on, they're always training. These friends have always been an inspiration to me. And it's not just for the physical feat of running long distances, though that's impressive, but it's because of what I've noticed in their spirits. I've noticed in these friends a deep inner peace and strength and perseverance and discipline that I deeply long for. These friends all happen to be devoted Christians, and they regularly talk about how their relationship with God has been nourished and strengthened through their practice of running. And for years, they encouraged me to try it. Finally, in 2014, I decided to try it and train for my first half marathon. Anyone here ever done one of those, the 13.1 miles? Hey, Tim Schmidt has them back. Hey, way to go. So, I've, I've run before. I, I ran track when I was younger, but um, I was a sprinter, and that's a little bit different. Um, so running for, and training for, for this, it was, it was much, much different. And we lear- I learned, sorry, I, uh, I, I let Lily help me um, edit my sermon, and so I have like X, Y, D, B, L, L on my manuscript right there, so I'm just going to that threw me off for a moment. So running and training for this half marathon, it was, it was much different, and I agreed with my friends. 
I learned so many spiritual insights. The race, it was fine, but it's what God taught me through that race, through that running practice. The spiritual insights I learned that is what I've held on to. Now, I have another friend, a much older friend, who also writes a lot about running and the spiritual lessons we can learn from a race. His name is the Apostle Paul. Around the year 60 AD, Paul wrote to his friends in Philippi and sought to encourage them in the faith by using running imagery. That's what we have in Philippians 3, if you didn't catch it, and throughout many of Paul's other letters too. Paul paints a picture of a runner running a race, pressing on to the finish line, eager to receive that finisher's medal. That's what he uses to encourage the Christians in their spiritual life. Now, if you've never been a runner yourself, don't worry, because Paul may not have been either. But Paul lived in a culture, you see, that was obsessed with sports. Ancient Greece was obsessed with sports. Anyone here obsessed with sports? I know some of you, a few of you are. So I hear there's a a sports season coming up soon, something called football, perhaps, Yes, so perhaps you watched a football game and seen a runner, or watched the Olympics, which, by the way, developed during this time in ancient Greece. I'm sure you have watched somebody run before. So keep that picture in your mind. Even if you want to have a more personal example, perhaps think of other, some other physical challenge you've gone through, like physical therapy in the hospital, where the doctor says, you have to get to this point before I'm going to let you go home. Have you ever been there? And you're like, I don't want to do this. Leave me alone. But you want to go home, right? You have your goal in mind, so you do it. So imagine that goal as the finish line you're straining toward. As Paul writes, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward what is the goal. So keep that imagery in your mind. A runner or some other physical training We're going to keep that in mind, and we're going to consider from Philippians 3 four spiritual insights, four encouragements that God wants to teach us through this letter to the Philippians. But before we get there, it's really important to review why, why the Apostle Paul is writing to encourage that small church at Philippi. Why does he need to encourage them? Well, one reason is they're tired. Anyone here tired? I've seen a few yawns already, so there's no denying it. We can see you up here. I'm not just talking about, I'm not just talking about physically tired, but spiritually and emotionally tired. For the Philippians, this Christian lifestyle thing, it's turning out to be a lot harder than they thought. And they're tired. Not only are they tired, but some of them are getting frustrated. They're frustrated because they're facing conflict. Because outside of the church, there are these other people who are looking down on them. Some are even flat out persecuting them because of their Christian beliefs and practices. Have you ever faced conflict? It's not only from the outside, though. It's also on the inside of the church because, you see, the church is full of people. And people have personalities and different ideas and different sins. And so there's conflict inside, too. Has anyone ever felt frustrated from conflict? 
Now, the Philippian Christians to which Paul is writing, they are much like runners in a 13-mile race, and they're at mile seven, and they are tired and frustrated, and some of them just want to throw in the towel. They have blisters on their feet, their muscles ache, some of the runners around them are starting to smell and getting on their nerves, and at mile seven, they're thinking, my couch sounds a lot better than this right now. Have you ever felt like quitting? Well, then these words are for you. These are words of encouragement to keep on in the race, to keep following the model of the Apostle Paul who said, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward what is the goal. I press on toward what is the goal. And to keep straining toward that goal, the Apostle Paul encourages us, encourages us to ask four questions. These four questions are not on the surface easy questions, but they are questions we must ask and answer honestly if we truly want to press on toward the goal. If we want to finish the race, to press on toward the goal of the prize of the heavenly God, call of God in Christ Jesus, we have to consider these questions. Now, if you have a pen, we should have some pens in the pews, and you should have your bulletin. I encourage you to write these down. Write down these four questions so that you can keep considering them throughout the week and the weeks ahead. All right, question number one. You ready for our questions? All right. Our first question, question number one. What do you want? Simple as that. And hard is that. What do you want? When you wake up in the morning, what compels you to get going? For a runner, the thing you have to want is to cross the finish line, to receive that finisher's medal. That's what drives a runner on through the blisters, through the muscle aches, through the fatigue and headaches and bad weather. In order to make it through all of that, you have to really want to finish that race. For Paul, he says, all he really wants is to know Christ. In verse 10, he makes it clear, I want to know Christ. Knowing Christ, the maker, redeemer, lover of his soul, that is what drives Paul on every single day. That is what gets him out of bed in the morning. That is the only reason that Paul endures the suffering he's going through. Because more than anything else in life, Paul wants to know Christ. So the question is, what do you want? What is it above all else that is driving you? For some of us, we might say, like Paul, that we want to know Christ. We sang about that in those last two songs. Did you hear them? If you don't catch anything from this sermon, just re-listen to those songs. They summarize what I'm going to say pretty well. We say, we sing that we want to know Christ, but if we're truly honest with ourselves... Sometimes when we track our thoughts and our actions, we find that there are other wants running our lives. Maybe it's a want to be liked by other people. Maybe it's a want to make a name for ourselves. 
Maybe it's a want to be comfortable and safe or to be successful in worldly terms or to have things go according to our own agenda. Sometimes these are the wants that actually dictate our thoughts and actions. But my friends, those wants are not going to help us know Christ. Because if you look at what else Paul writes about knowing Christ in verse 10, we get a little surprised, perhaps. So Paul writes, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Who's on board? Yes. On board. I want to know that. And the sharing of his sufferings. Wait a minute, Paul. I don't know if that sounds so pleasant anymore. By becoming like him in his death. Do you remember how Jesus Christ died? I'm not so sure I'm tracking with Paul anymore. If somehow I may attain from the resurrection from the dead. What Paul is saying is that if we want to know Christ, we have to want to know all of Christ. To know Christ is to know all of Christ, not just his power and glorification, but also his sufferings and his death. If you truly want to know Christ above all else, my friends, you have to expect suffering. Jesus promised we would encounter suffering. We shouldn't be surprised when it happens. If a runner wants to finish a long-distance race, she shouldn't be surprised and complain when her feet hurt and her muscles ache. That's what you got to expect when you sign up for a race. If we want to know Christ, we shouldn't be surprised when we encounter suffering. Because to know Christ is to know all of Christ, not just his power and glorification, but also his sufferings and his death. Paul wants to know Christ. He wants to know Christ now as much as he can in this life. And in the life to come, Paul wants to see Jesus face to face and to hear those longed-for words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. And at the end of his life, Paul wants to be able to say, like his apprentice Timothy, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is why Paul is willing to share in the sufferings of Christ, because above all, he wants to know Christ. Too often, I think that we don't live the kind of life Paul lived, because we don't really want what Paul wanted. We don't really live the kind of life Paul lived. A life of abundant joy and peace and contentment and passion for the Lord. Because we don't really want what Paul wanted. We may say we want it, but when Christ's sufferings come our way, we bail out. And we let other wants drive us instead. When I talk about Christ's sufferings, I don't necessarily mean the common sufferings that all people face, like your company downsizes and a bunch of people lose their job at one time. 
You're a teenager. You get acne. You have braces. It stinks. But it happens to everyone. Perhaps. Maybe you got lucky. Got all the teenage years, okay? You get older. Your body starts to fail. Your eyesight goes. You feel a little bit weaker. These are things that happen to all of us. And they're really hard. Don't get me wrong. They are a suffering. They're hard. But those aren't the kinds of sufferings Paul is talking about here. What Paul is talking about is the sufferings that come particularly from following Christ. Like at your workplace, when you notice something unethical happening, and because of your Christian commitment, you choose to speak up, and it gets you demoted or fired. That's sharing in Christ's suffering. Or at school, when you forgo sitting at the cool table with the cool kids, and instead you sit with the boy who's always getting picked on, and you start to get picked on, that is sharing in Christ's sufferings. It's when you listen closely to Jesus' teachings about loving the poor and oppressed, and so you start spending more time with those on the margins, and your heart begins to break in a million pieces to know about all the horrid injustices in our world. That is sharing in Christ's suffering. It's staying committed to a body of believers, loving and serving them, even when it's hard and frustrating. That is sharing in Christ's suffering. These are all sufferings we could avoid if we chose to want other things more than Christ. But if we want to know Christ, all of Christ, we have to embrace this too. So the question is, what do you want? When you wake up in the morning, what is it that you really want? Paul encourages you, and I do too, above all else, want Christ. It is so worth it. Don't give up on the race at mile seven because of some blisters and muscle aches. Those are to be expected, but keep pressing on. Want Christ more than all else. So that's our first question, and don't worry, that's the one we're going to spend the most time on. The others are shorter, because if we don't get that question right, if we can't answer that we want Christ, then these other questions aren't going to matter at all. So that is the one we need to zone in on. What is it, above all else, that you want? And if you do want to know Christ, then here are three other questions that will help you get there. All right, if you got your pens, this is number two. What is your current fitness level? Some of you are thinking, I haven't been to the gym in a week. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your spiritual fitness level. For a runner, you have to be honest about your current fitness level. You can't just go out and run a marathon without training. Trust me, I've learned the hard way. You're going to hurt yourself. I don't care if you've run 10 marathons in the past. If you take five years off and then try to run 26 miles at once, you're going to get hurt. It's just how it works. The same is true in our spiritual lives. You have to be honest about your spiritual fitness level, and you have to keep training. We consider Paul an all-star in the faith, but he is honest. He says he has not yet arrived. He's not perfect. 
He has room to grow. He writes, not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own. Paul presses on. Are you pressing on in your spiritual life? What practices are you doing to press on? One theologian writes this about Paul's statement. He says, A mark of maturity is recognizing where we are immature. In contrast, a mark of immaturity is thinking we are fully mature. That could be worth writing down, too, if you want to remember that. A mark of maturity is recognizing where we are immature, where we need to grow, where our lives aren't reflecting Christ, where we are letting other wants rule us. And here's the thing. You usually need other people to help you see spots of immaturity. We all have blind spots, and we need help. So has anyone ever been to a a running shoe store to to buy some running shoes? Anyone? Tim has. Tim, (laughs) you're my, like, one go-to this morning. So uh, I went and got some running shoes uh, a couple years ago, and they have this new thing where they have you get on a treadmill— And somebody, an experienced runner, sits and watches you and records you for like five minutes running. And it's really nerve-wracking, like, to have someone just staring at you when you're running. But it is so helpful because this is the thing. You can't watch your own feet when you're running. You're going to fall. (laughs) You have to have somebody else watch you. It's just about, like, watching someone else's walk, their stride. You can look at someone and tell them what their stride is like. They have no idea. You can't watch your own stride. You need someone else to see it. And when someone else sees it, they can point out really helpful things, like you turn hard on your right foot or you lean this way, things that you just don't know until someone points it out. And it helps you run better and faster. So the same is true in our spiritual lives. We need people who know us well, experienced, mature Christians who are willing to help us in love and wisdom, not condescension, in love and wisdom to point things out to help us have a healthy stride. We all have immaturities. When we aren't aware of them, when we aren't willing to ask for help, we end up hurting ourselves and those around us. And that's the sign of an immature person thinking they don't need help, that they're always right. The truly mature person is the one who is open to growth and having people help them with their stride. So the question is, number two, what is your current fitness level, spiritually speaking? Are you willing to admit, like the Apostle Paul, that I have not already arrived? I have not yet reached the goal? Are you willing then to keep pressing on, to ask for help, To humbly ask God to help you and those around you to help you. That's our second question. What is your current fitness level? Our third question is this. Got your pens? Write it down again. Where is your focus? Paul writes this in verse 13. But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly God call of God in Christ Jesus. When you're running, there is one sure thing that's going to get you off track. It's one sure thing that's going to make you lose the race. 
That is looking behind you the whole way. Have you ever tried it, to walk and look behind you? Does not work. You're going to fall. You're probably going to trip up the people around you. It just doesn't work. And the same is true in our spiritual lives. You can't stay stuck in the past, either your past mistakes or your past successes. Friends, for some of you, this might be the one word that you need to hear today, to let your mistakes go. Some of you are carrying weights and burdens that are keeping you from running. At some point, you simply need to make your apologies to God and to others, to make your changes accordingly, and just let it go and keep moving forward. Paul knew this. Earlier in his life, he was persecuting Christians. You think that caused him some shame? causing the immense suffering, even death, of his fellow brothers and sisters, you think he had some guilt. He had to let it go. He had to make his apologies, change, and ask for God's grace to keep moving forward. Think if he would have just left his life saying, I just did these horrible things and now I'm done. He had to let it go and keep moving forward. Friends, just because you make a wrong turn at mile three doesn't mean there's not more race ahead of you. Keep going. It also means leaving behind past successes. And Paul knew that too. Before this point in his life, he was the superstar religious man. In terms of piety, he had the top resume. But he says, I consider all of that loss as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Because Paul knows that to know Christ is to die to yourself. It doesn't matter about your successes or achievements. It's all about reaching the goal of knowing Christ. In the middle of the race, there's no time to sit around and say, I did really, really well at race uh, mile two or three, and now I'm just going to mosey on the rest of the way. You've got the rest of the race ahead of you. You've got to look towards the goal. And here's the thing. The miles ahead may be different than the miles behind Even though you did well at mile two, doesn't mean you're going to do well at mile nine if the slope is now going up and now it's starting to rain and there's wind. You have to run differently. You can't count on your past successes for the present race. In our personal lives, we can get tempted to think, I gave a lot of money that one time, or I really helped out that person that one time, so now I'm a spiritual giant. Look at me. But we lose focus on the race Christ has for us now. The church in the U.S. is learning this lesson now. What worked and was successful in the 50s and 60s is not necessarily successful today because the terrain has changed. The climate has changed. So we have to let go of our egos, be willing to open ourselves up and say, most of all, I want to know Christ. Christ, what do you have for us now? We have to keep our eyes focused on the prize, moving forward to Christ and Christ's glory. This is why Paul presses on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call. He keeps his eyes on the prize. He keeps his focus on knowing Jesus, forgetting his past mistakes and his past successes. He keeps focused forward on the race. So that's our third question. Where is your focus? 
Finally, our last question. This one will be brief because Pastor Brandon talked about it a lot last week. If you missed it last week, I encourage you to listen online. So our last one, very briefly, who are you running with? Who are you running with? Here's the thing. It's really, really, really hard to run a long race all by yourself. It's also dangerous. You can fall, you can get a muscle cramp, you can get dehydrated. If you're all by yourself, it's dangerous to run by yourself. And your mind often doesn't let you do it. <laughs> when I was training for that half marathon, I was supposed to get up to 14 miles of training and I was stupid and tried to do it by myself and I just quit at 10 miles. I just, my, my body was capable, my mind wasn't. All these voices started coming in saying this is stupid, just what are you doing? I'm bored out here. No one's with me. And it, I, I just stopped at mile 10, and I didn't keep going. But you see, when I got in that race with hundreds of other people, I was able to do it like pretty easily. There was all their energy I was feeding off of. I was inspired. If I lost energy, I just got behind someone who was going my pace, and then you just follow them pretty easy. Other th if other people did that, they would get behind me. You help each other on the race. And it, I went faster and easier than I ever had running by myself. We need running partners. We need people in front of us to follow, to imitate, as Paul says in verse 17. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. Observe those who live according to the example you have in us. You try to run it by yourself, those voices are going to nag you. Just quit. This is ridiculous. What are you doing? Just quit. Go back to what seems easy. You need help. You need running partners. Now, as we've learned through the book of Philippians, it's not always going to be pleasant. In that race, there were people around me that smelled really bad. I like they stunk really bad. Some of their sweat dripped off onto me. That was really gross. Sometimes they would cut me off and make me really angry because I had my stride and then some like hot shot going really fast would run in front. And, or there were some times that I needed to get over and get water and someone was just in their stride and wouldn't move and it was really annoying. Or someone was chatting when I wanted to be silent or I wanted to talk to someone and they wanted to be silent and that was annoying. But you know what? They all could have said the same things about me. They all could have said the same things about me. And the fact is, we all needed each other. We were in this together. We were far better running together than alone. Annoyances and all, it was far better together than alone. So who are you running with? Don't ever, ever try to bail out and go it on your own. The spiritual life was never meant to be run alone. Don't try to do it by yourself. So those are our four questions. What do you want? What's your current fitness level? Where's your focus? Who are you running with? So to close, I'm going to leave you with these words from the letter to the Hebrews. Wherever you are in the race, whether you're feeling energized and strong and joyful, whether you're feeling tired frustrated, ready to quit, may you be encouraged by these words. Therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also set aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the, for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Sisters and brothers, let us run the race of faith with perseverance. Let us pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this community that encourages us and supports us in the race. May you help us to keep our eyes always focused on the goal, which is knowing you, Jesus Christ, in this life as much as we can, and ultimately in the next life when we will meet you face to face. May that joy of meeting you and knowing you deeper press us on every day, all our words, thoughts, and actions. It's to you, Jesus, we give our lives. Amen.